Hello. All right. Thank you, thank you. Let us pray, please. Let us pray. Heavenly Father, thank you for this morning. Thank you for the opportunity that we have in your presence. Thank you for Tika. Thank you for the pastors, uh, the leaders, the fathers. Thank you for this church. Thank you for Archbishop Henry and his wife. Thank you for the great work that has been done so far in Kenya. Thank you that it's time to go even further, to do even more. We worship you, Lord. We are grateful. Now just lift your hands and ask God that the Holy Spirit will speak to you, teach you, and lead you to the next level of your life and of your ministry. Father, we thank you. We pray. Thank you and we pray, Lord. Damasado Makabala. For the next level you've called us to, Lord. Thanks a million. Thanks for your grace. Thanks for your great help. Thank you for blessing us. Toma, Sheila, Pazando, Kayaman, Talebe, Kombalada, Tele, Tarabale, Takamandolo, Pedelema, Shegelema, Malama, Prelele, Makete, Malandale, Babandala. Oh, yes. Oh, yes. Oh, yes. We give you praise. Now, lay hands on your eyes and ask the Lord to open the eyes of your understanding. Give you the spirit of revelation and wisdom. Revelation, wisdom, and the knowledge of God. Father, we pray for the spirit of revelation, wisdom, and the knowledge of Jesus. Kama satoma satelema. We give you thanks and we give you praise. Thank you, Holy Spirit, for leading us in Jesus' name. And everyone said, Amen. Amen. God bless you. You may be seated. I want to say, first of all, thank you to Archbishop Henry for opening up your beautiful church for us. When I drove in, I said, oh, that's a beautiful church. And then they said, that's where we are going. So that's a blessing. Amen. I know that you have been here for many years, fighting many battles. And uh, the Lord has honored your work, and he will honor it even more. But the greatest honor is that he will give you sons who will carry on even beyond you. Amen. I also want to acknowledge all the fathers uh, of Tika. Are these the fathers of Tika or Tika? Okay. Uh, God bless you for your hard work. You have suffered many things. Yes. Once you are an old, older man in the ministry, it means you have been through many things. Uh, you don't have to tell me your story. 
if you have stayed for a long time, it means you've been through many things. And so, we honor you for being there. Amen. Amen. And for what work God has used you to do. Hallelujah. So it's a blessing to be here at this conference. I see some of our board members also here. God bless you all. And I can see that there are many of the children around as well. It's a blessing to see you all. Now this conference is entitled identifying dangerous enemies chapter 51 of this book got a good general chapter 51 so the conference is based on chapter 51 identifying dangerous enemies amen now Matthew chapter 10 and verse 36. Why, why do we need to identify dangerous enemies? Because dangerous enemies fight everything we are trying to build. And our enemies are invisible. Sometimes they are visible. And even when they are visible, they act as though they are friends. Do you see? They act as though they are friends. So, some years ago, uh, whilst, when I was in school, I went for a physics lesson with a man who was also a spiritual uh, father to me, but he was teaching me physics. Actually, the reason I was going there was for my physics class. But we used to talk, he used to talk to me about the ministry and about the work of God. And then he showed me a graph. He said that if we are able to keep people alive, the population will increase greatly if we can keep people alive. And he showed me a graph of the world, world's population. And the world's population had been almost the same since Jesus, I mean, for all through the years, the world population had been in a graph almost flat like this. So actually, there were not so many people in the world before. But the population had been low like that. And the reason why the population had not been going high was because uh, people were dying of so many diseases all the time, all right? Until the beginning of the 20th century, so that is from 1900, when many discoveries started to take place, do you see? And if you look at the history of medicine, there are very remarkable inventions and discoveries that have changed the world. And the discovery, for instance, of penicillin or ampicillin, 
penicillin, augmenting, was something that changed the world. There was a plague called the Black Plague, spread by rats and insects. And that removed, killed one third of Europe, the European population, one third. The pandemic was nothing. The pandemic we just had, it was nothing compared to the plague, which cleared a cool one third of the whole population of Europe. Anyone who visited the sick died for visiting them. You go to visit them, you will die. If you pray for them, you will die. If you look after them, you will die. And that is where the nursery, the nursery rhyme, ringa, ringa, roses, a what? A pocket full of roses, a tissue, a tissue, and all fall down. So that was the, you go around the sick person, then you sneeze, tissue, tissue, then you die, you fall down and you die. That's where it came from. Yes, that's where that, Nestle Ryan came, it's first from the plague. Yeah. Present your roses, you go around, you saying you sneeze, try tissue, tissue, then you fall down. Yeah. So the population of the world has been, was greatly affected by the fact that they couldn't fight invisible enemies that were killing people. You see, till they discovered something that, first of all, even that there was something called a bacteria. When a woman was going to deliver, you know what it is is that some children have big heads. You see, some people have big heads. So the head cannot pass through where it is supposed to pass. Yes. I don't know if you have one of those big heads. But also, some babies have, instead of bowing their heads in humility, like this, and coming out in humility, they lift their head like this. And when they lift up their heads, the distance from, from your chin to the back here is called the vertex. So the baby comes with the face like this. And it's too, it's too wide to come out. It's called the face presentation. And it's, 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 it's called also the evil presentation. Because it's not going to come out. Oh, yes. So in those days, there would be a woman in labor. Ah, she's bringing forth maybe a proud child who has lifted up the head like this. <laughs> and the baby would not come out. Then they would operate. So they, they, they learned how to operate. They would operate with their bare hands. You know, like how we have now learning about shaking of hands and whatever from the pandemic. They operate with their bare hands. 
do you see? Wipe everything, be able to stop the blood and take the baby out, sew the woman up and she will lie there. Then she will develop a fever. Hey, because of the infection, some of the surgeons have just been to toilet, they've shaken hands with other people. Nobody knew what was a gem. These were invisible enemies on our hands. And they were putting them into the child, into the woman's stomach. And the woman would develop a strong fever and swell. And I mean, she would die of septicemia and fever and what have you. Just because we didn't know that on our very hands or in our very churches or on our very front rows, do you see, there are dangerous enemies. <laughs> With whom we are, we are fellowshipping. And that we should have washed them off. With soap and water, we should have cleansed them out of our, our hands. Yes. Sanitized the front rows of our churches. <laughs> and cleared us of dangerous enemies. Yeah. But rather, we would take these dangerous enemies like during the pandemic we didn't know you take them and then you even take some and put it in your mouth and lick your thing you see that we will be ordaining evil men and appointing evil men and taking them in deeper oh yes So, it's important that we identify and learn. Now, since the, popul since the time where uh, the population, the, the medical science discovered these enemies, right, and found a way to combat them, the population of the world started to rise like this. And that's how come we have seven billion, eight billion now. That's how come we have eight billion. But it was low. From the time of Jesus and all, it, the, the world hasn't grown much. Everybody just dies off. You know, malaria will kill thousands, thousands. You just die. And some of the enemies are complicated enemies, like viruses. You can't just kill them. It there's a microscope, I'm sure you've all seen microscopes in school, small one like this, but there's a microscope as big as the house, like it's as tall as this building and goes even higher. And it's only one microscope and it is used to look at a virus. That's how big the microscope is, to look at a virus. And those are viruses, polio, smallpox, HIV, hepatitis, and the corona virus. That you don't use those small microscopes to look at them. Dangerous. Only vaccination protects you. 
Yes. Only immunizing the church and teaching the church and immunizing the church to become wary of these things and to develop defenses in your churches for such things. Yes. Protects the church. Yeah. People laugh at me when I preach about these things. When I started preaching about what is loyalty? Because the dangerous enemies we have, disloyal people. Disloyal people don't identify themselves. They don't like to show up themselves. I don't know why. I want to show you something. In John chapter 18. Let's read from verse 1. It says, When John had spoken these words, he went forth with his disciples over the brook Cedron, where there was a garden, into the which he entered, and his disciples. And Judas also, which betrayed him, knew the place. For Jesus oftentimes resorted thither with his disciples. Judas then, having received a band of men and officers from the chief priests and Pharisees, cometh thither with lanterns and torches and weapons. And Jesus therefore, knowing all things that should come upon him, went forth and said unto them, Whom seek ye? And they answered, We are looking for Jesus of Nazareth. All right? But notice in verse 5, Then answered him, Jesus of Nazareth, And Judas also, which betrayed him, stood with them, Stood with who? Stood with the people who were having the lanterns and coming to arrest Jesus. But all this time he has been standing with Jesus and with the disciples. But now for the first time, he stood where he really was a part of. He stood with the wicked people who were coming to identify, who were coming to catch Jesus. So that's how the Judases in your church are. They rarely stand with the people that they are really part with. You get what I'm saying? It's only at the end that is, is that okay, yes, I'm with, the, I'm with the enemy. Yeah. But until this verse, he never stood with the bad people. Yeah. He always sits in the front or the second row, being around. If you're on the front or the second row, please. Forgive me, it's not that I'm, uh, it can be the third row, but. Uh, <laughs> ah, so you Judas, so this is where you really are, isn't it? You really belong with these guys all this time. But finally, we see Judas stood with them. So yeah, I am with them. And even took a picture and put it on Facebook and said, yes, I am with them. <laughs> I am with them, yes. 
And but that is after three years of pretending to be with Jesus. When Jesus will face the Pharisees, blast them, tell them you are wicked men, dead men's bones, you are whitened sepulchres. I mean, he's sons of hell. Judas will be standing with Jesus as he's preaching. The other day, a political party had a, they realized that they had orangus with, within the party. Because every time they have a meeting, you know what an orangu is? It's a disloyal person. So, they realize that every time they have a meeting, the enemy will have the actual letter and the document, it will appear with the opposition or with the other group, the letter. So they said, there are people within us who are actually not with us. So then they came up with a policy. They said, now, every one of us must write and insult the other people openly for us to see that you are doing it so that we know who you are. Write something and make it very clear. We want to see what you will say and say it with strength. <laughs> And unless you do that, we, are, we cannot be sure of you. Oh, yes. So may God help you to identify all the enemies. Because these Judases, they don't like to stand with the group that they really belong to. I don't know why they don't want to just live and join wherever they, they belong. But they want to stay. You see, because they are not sure whether you'll be successful or not. They, they want to see so that they don't back the wrong horse. And so they want to weigh their options and see whether should I identify this way or this way. But when Judas felt that, oh, this is it. I'm going to join these people. And then the Bible says, and Judas, who betrayed, stood with them. He also stood with them said, uh-huh. These are my friends. This guy who is holding the sword is coming to kill you. This is my right hand man. This man with the light who is going to shine on your face. He's my friend. This guy at the back here with the whistle and this guy with a knife. These are the people that I am with. I've been pretending to be a pastor and a loyal person all these years. But this is my real group that I belong to. This is my, these are my associates. Do you have such people in Kenya? So, we want to identify these dangerous enemies. Amen. Amen. Now, every Christian must believe and understand that we are actually fighting in a war. All right. Now, there can be a war, but you will be in a part of the church or a part of a country 
where you don't feel the war. And that's what's happening with many Christians. We are in a war, but maybe you are in a part of the church work where you don't feel the war. So to you, there's no war, there's no problem. But the day you move nearer the front line of ministry, you will see that there is a war going on. It is all the time when you are not really active. Many pastors are not active in the ministry. Pastors, bishops, what have you, are not really active in the ministry. The ministry is building churches, preaching the gospel, raising pastors, and reaching out. Kenya has more wickedness here than has ever been. In spite of all the churches and all the pastors. Ghana, where I, I come from, has more evil than the time I started preaching. When I started preaching till now, the wickedness is more. Oh, yes. Every country has more evil. Since Billy Graham started preaching in America, you know, there's been, there's more evil in America than ever before. I was talking to one pastor. He was telling me in America, he said that every usher has a gun. You, know, you, can't, you, can't be, you can't be an usher without having a gun. The whole church. That's, that's what has happened to America now. Yeah, you walk with your gun like that. And I've been in churches where the, the guns were open, openly, not in America, in another country whose name begins with an S. The, 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 the guns were openly displayed. Every usher had one. Yeah, that's the level of evil that has increased in the world since we started. So our work is not getting finished. It's becoming more. But only that many pastors are not actually in the ministry. Bishop, you are welcome. Amen. Many are not active in the ministry. Yes. So, that's why some of these messages may not seem relevant. But if you become active, what do I mean by active? Soul winning. Preaching. Winning souls. Building churches. Building branches. Going further. Ah, you will start to see that there are enemies. Because that's, you've actually started fighting and working for the Lord. So, you need to identify enemies when you are active. So, this conference is for active ministers and active workers and active servants of the Lord who want to actively work for the Lord. Amen. Are you with me? Now, Identifying dangerous enemies. Ephesians chapter 6 and verse 12. Yeah. This verse has helped us a lot. All through my life as a Christian, 
I have been uh, using this verse. Amen. All through my Christian life, I've been using this verse. It says, we wrestle not against flesh and blood, but against principalities and powers. Amen. What we've been saying is that human beings are not your enemy. You know, but spirits are your enemies. Spirits are your enemies. That this man is not your enemy. That person is not your enemy. So pray in the spirit because it's spirits. That are your enemies. Is it not what we've been told? Okay. Anybody who says anything other than what is in the word, we will not accept it. So now, Jesus himself showed us that human beings are also enemies. Oh, yes. And it's time for you to grow up to accept that it's not only spirits that are enemies. Huh? But humans, human humans are also enemies. And I'll give you at least four or five examples. Number one. In Colossians chapter 1, verse 21, it says, You that were sometimes alienated and enemies, you, you, you were what? Enemies in your mind by wicked works, yet now hath he reconciled. So here again, we see he's talking about even you as a person, you were once an enemy. Yeah, so all of us have been enemies of God, not spirits. Are you a spirit? You are a spirit living in the body. Number two, Jesus said, a man's force. What does it mean? Matthew 10, 36. A man's foes. Maybe we should change uh, uh, the version also. A man's foes shall be they of his own household. They of your own household. That is in your family. Yes. NIV says a man's enemies. Huh? Will be the members of his own household or his own church. So those of you who are saying that it's only spirits. Ah, it's not this person, this person is, no, no, no. People are also enemies. And man's enemies will be the members of his own household. Hmm. 
Luke chapter 1, verse 71, number 3, example. Luke, let's read from verse 70. Let's read from verse 70. And he spake by the mouth of the holy prophets, which have been since the world began, that we should be saved from our enemies and from the hand of all that hate us. He was talking about the Jews. God is going to send somebody who's going to help us to save us from our enemies and from the hand of all that hate us. So the person that hates you is your enemy. And there are people that hate you. If they didn't hate you, they wouldn't want to destroy all that God has used you to build. You see, I'm, I, want you to, I want you to know that God is building his church. I will build my church. And there are enemies of all that you are doing. And that people that hate it and you wonder why. You take this beautiful church here that our Archbishop has been here building all these years. You ask yourself that should he not only have friends? Should he not only have friends and supporters? But you will be surprised at the people that hate him and hate whatever is being done here. I don't know even one person like that. Oh, now I've heard of it, but I'm sure. I'll bet it with anybody at least. How much shall I bet you do? 10 shillings or 10,000 shillings or whatever. Luke chapter 6, verse 35. Example number 4. There are men who are spirits, who are not spirits, who are called enemies, whom you are supposed to love. He says, but love ye your enemies and do good and learn, hoping for nothing, and your reward shall be great in heaven. For he is kind and unthankful. He is kind to the unthankful and to the evil. So you are supposed to love these enemies. And these are not spirits. How do you lend money to a spirit? How do you lend money to a spirit hoping for nothing again? So there are people, when Jesus says, love your enemies. Amen. So, yes, we wrestle not against flesh and blood, but against principalities, etc. But you must know that the enemy that is fighting us is not just a spirit, but there are human beings greatly involved in being evil spirits, evil presences in our lives. And then the last example I want to give you is in Philippians chapter 3. It says, for many, and verse 18, for many walk of whom I have told you often and now even weeping that they are the enemies of the cross of Christ. What does it mean to be an enemy of the cross? So there are people who are the enemies of the cross. They are the enemies of the cross. What does, the, what does it mean to be an enemy of the cross? The cross represents sacrifice. It represents the hardship that Jesus went to. And that's why Jesus said, take up your cross and follow me. And then you can be my disciple. It means pay the price and suffer what you must suffer. 
So there are people that are the enemies of the cross or the enemies of all that you have suffered for. What you have suffered to build, what you have suffered to do, what you have suffered to follow Christ and suffered to achieve for God, there are people that are the enemies of the cross, the enemies of your sacrifice, the enemies of what you've laid down your life for. That is why people can take away all that you've sacrificed for. You know, I remember one pastor said to me, he said, I went on a holiday with my family, all right? And he had 3,000 members in his church, 3,000. It's not a story I read in the book. He was telling me himself. And he said, when I went for this holiday, uh, with my family, we stayed away for six weeks. That's a long holiday. I wish I could have a six weeks holiday too. <laughs> he said when he got back, his assistant pastor came to him and said, Pastor, I have something I need to see you about. He said, what is it? He said, I need to discuss something with you. Watch out whenever they say, I need to see you. Then he said, when he saw, he said, I, 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 God has told me to leave the church now. So he said, ah, why, why now? I have been away on holiday. I have just come. Day one. He said, no, it's urgent in the spirit. I need to, I need to leave now. So, he would not wait at all. And he said, I'm leaving now. I have to leave the church now. So he left. Now the pastor told me that when he left, are you listening? He said, when he left, all the 3,000 members left, he was left with 18 people, including his wife, his children, his children, the house help made and others including part of the 18 members. It's not, a sto- it's not a fairy tale, it's a real story. I'm talking about what you have lived your life and sacrificed for, the enemies of the cross. The enemies of your life's achievement and your life's sacrifice. And if you think it's not real, wait until you see it. You think because you are sacrificing, there will be no enemy. Ah, you think because you are doing the right thing, there will be no enemy. You think because you are taking up your cross, there will be no enemy. There are enemies of the cross, enemies of the right thing. The pastor said to me, I was left with 18 members. But that is not the end of the story. Zechariah chapter 5 and verse 3. Put it up, please. Zechariah chapter 5 and verse 3. He said, This is the curse that goeth forth over the face of the whole earth. For everyone that stealeth shall be cut off, as on this side according to it, and everyone that sweareth shall be cut off. 
So there is a curse for every thief. What people don't realize when you steal something, you rob somebody, you take something that doesn't belong to you, something that someone has worked for, those of you who break churches and take people's members, you are a thief, you are a sheep thief. You are a thief, you are nothing more than a thief. You may be called reverend, you may be called doctor, you may get an American to come and ordain you as an apostle, but you are still a thief. You are still a thief. You are a sheep thief. Stealing is in realms. It depends on your currency and in terms of what you are dealing with. Oh, yes. Depending on what you work with, you steal what you work with. And pastors work with people and sheep. And so they steal people. When, when thievery comes into a pastor, he steals people. If you work in a kitchen, you steal the food in the kitchen. You get it? Depends on where you work. One, one friend of mine, he had a restaurant and he told me that the people in the ch- kitchen were stealing the food. I said, how do they steal the food? Because don't you see them going out? He said, we see them. But they take the, like the frozen chicken, then they throw it over the wall. And then after they close, they go behind and they pick the frozen chicken and they take it to the house. And some of them put eggs in their pants. And they, and they be walking like this. Oh, yes. You have to wear pants in order to, to steal those eggs. And pray that they don't crack on their way home. (laughs) So pastors, we work, we don't work with frozen chicken, we don't work with eggs. We work with human beings, we work with people. And people are, our souls are all that we are working for. To have this soul, to have this soul, to win this soul. So thieves, they come and they steal. But the Bible says that there is a curse. Or underline it. For everyone that stealeth shall be cut off. As on this side. It's just a matter of time. You don't have to even curse them. You are already cursed. Yeah. If you are here and you are stolen somebody's church members. And there is a member in your church. Eh? It would have been better that you don't have that member. Tell them, please go back. Go back to where you came from. I don't need you in my church again. Go and see your fathers. You see, all these people who are called fathers, these things have been done to them. Oh, yes. I don't need to stay in Kenya to know. They have been done to them. Over and over and over again. Yeah, people stealing, break, and then you break the person's life. If you bring him, you know, do you know this game, snakes and ladders? Yeah. It's like he, he's, this thing lands on a snake at the top and goes down to zero or to one. And it's like he has to start all over again. So this pastor told me, I started my church all over again, 18 members. 
He said, within six months, this uh, brother, you see, look at verse 4. Yeah, look at verse 4. And I will bring it to pass. It shall enter into the house of the thief. Huh? The curse will come into your house. And he says, it shall remain in the midst of his house and shall consume it with the timber thereof and the stones thereof. Verse 5. Ah, all right. Now, so the, the, the curse will enter the house and consume the water and the stones, everything. Within six months or so, this guy became sick. The man who has told him, all the 3,000 went to, the guy, I don't know what he told them within the six weeks. They went to a new church that this guy started. And they were all there. And that brother decided to go on a fast. The one who stole the members. Yes. And whilst he was fasting, he went into a coma. Yeah. And the pastor told me, he said, I went to visit him. I prayed for him. But he didn't recover. And he died within a few months. He never got up. And so you need to be careful when you are breaking people's hearts. That's why sometimes you see the fathers look tired. They look withered, battered. They have been through. What have you been through? What have you survived? Yes. People have taken their meaty church members. They are tithing church members. The financial backbones of their churches have been taken. And they have been left as destitute men who have not even worked as if they can't preach. As if it was a mistake to be in the ministry. And you see many of them, even their children don't want to be pastors. So, ah, no, 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 no. What church members have done to you? And what church members have done? This church, well, ah, we don't want it. I want to do business. I want to do something else. I don't want to be a minister. So it is important for us to identify enemies and people who are enemies and then learn about them so that we fight them. So enemy number one, those who leave you. And, and I wrote a book for each of these enemies. Those who leave you. And I encourage you to get, to actually take your time to read. Because reading will, that's if you read and read several times, will help you to even know and understand. Because it will give you a key, a key that you need. Amen. Amen. For your ministry and for your life. Are you there? Yes. I hope I'm talking to the right group. Yes. In Luke 
11 verse 52 it says war unto you lawyers for you have taken away the key of knowledge the key of what knowledge knowledge is a key even knowing about something even if you don't understand it fully is a key so Jesus said, I'll give you the keys of heaven and earth. This is the only thing that is mentioned as a key in the Bible, that there is a key. So I'll give you a key. The only key mentioned in the Bible is the key of knowledge. That what is actually a key to your ministry, a key to your life, a key to the work that God has given you to do, knowledge. Knowledge is something that is increasing. I don't usually give my books to older pastors because one of the main things about older pastors is that they have stopped learning. <laughs> it's true. Older pastors have stopped learning. They won't even read. It's true. It's not easy to keep on learning. When you do your last exam in school, you usually say that's the end of learning. <laughs> Goodbye learning. Goodbye studying. But it also means that it's the end of advancing. If you take somebody like Mark Zuckerberg, whatever his name is, Zuckerberg or whatever, you know how to pronounce it, you know everything. <laughs> so if you take somebody that 25 years old, 20 whatever years old, Facebook. I mean, all the older people with websites and whatever have had to submit to the reality that what this person has invented, do you see, is something that is important and that is needed or is used. Yes. Necessary, and the person is in his 20s. Uh, so it's like when you stop learning, you, you just change. All these, how, all these uh, uh, modern cars, planes, different things, everything is based on something new that people are learning. But in the ministry, because many pastors retire long before the end of their ministry, and they stop learning. Oh, yes. Oh, yes. And that's why I'm speaking to us, because I've learned over time that older pastors often are not interested in learning something new. But you see, you must heal yourself of that. No matter how old you are, once you are not lying in your coffin and you knock up like this. You are still alive. It means, you know, I learned from Rejoiner that time means mercy. If God gives you time, it means he's showing you mercy. The mercy is in the form of time. So if God gives you some time here on earth, it means he's showing you some mercy. And that mercy is being expressed into your life by giving you time, like it's not killing you. 
There are so many things that can end your life. So many diagnoses, medical diagnoses that can come in your life. You just have to start having some symptom and you'll be diagnosed and before you realize, you are gone. But God has decided not to give you such or to allow something like that to start in your life. And here you are breathing and alive. It means mercy is being shown to you. And it means you still have to learn something. And you do not have to retire in your heart and in your mind. Because you are still around. And you'll be surprised at what stage of your life you may bear the most fruit. I have been blessed by Kenneth Hagin. I've been blessed by Kenneth Hagin. But, and I, I believe that I am one of his fruits. I believe I'm one of the fruits that Kenneth Hagin bore in his ministry. But you see, I came into contact with Kenneth Hagin for the first time when he was 63 years old. He was 63 years old when I found him. And interestingly, he was preaching the same, he was constant and faithful in his preaching at the age of 63. I, I was privileged to now know him for another 20 years because he died when he was at the 83 or 83 or 86. And so you may be in your 60s or you may be in your 50s, but you'll be surprised that there's so much more that you, it is maybe you are yet to hit the actual spot. Yeah, you are yet to hit the actual spot that is going to trigger the greatest fruit of your life and your ministry. So open yourself to the key of knowledge. Ah, when God wants to bless you, he will often bring a new seed to your life. Yeah, a new seed. You see, there's something we call inbreeding. I don't know whether I'm talking to the right group of people. Yeah. There is something called inbreeding. One time we were at a crusade and there were some strange illnesses. You see a family, everybody's blind. Another group who can't, everybody's deaf and dumb. Another group with scales, different malformations. So we we're wondering, what is this town like? Why, why, is this, why are these things here? And then somebody told us that, you know, in this area they practice incest. You know, they marry amongst themselves. Like a father can have like 60, 80 children. Then he can even meet his daughter and he doesn't know her. You marry her also. But he doesn't know who she is. That is actually his child. Do you see? So it forms these malformations. And so that is why, you know, in marriage, you don't marry your sister. And even cousins, they also don't like it, marry your cousin and close people. Why? Because there is no new seed. You know, because so that's why it's so that you get someone from somewhere else. You know, and that person brings a seed. And that's what even creates a normal person. Yeah. So where you have sometimes denominations and churches 
And sometimes we have no external input. Do you see? New life doesn't really come into your life because you don't have the external input. The value of a seed, the value of Kenneth Hagin's seed when he was 63 to come into a young man like me when I got that little book and it made me start to listen to his preacher and to find him and it started to soak in. I am an SU product. I don't know if you have SU here. Scripture Union. What do you call it here? CU. Christian Union. That is my background. CU. Bible verses, holiness, uh, discipleship, uh, holiness. I mean, this is what I... Sanctification, quiet time. This is all I, this is all I grew up on. That is my background. I memorize scripture. My games were scripture memory. I challenge you. I know more scriptures than you. You quote, I quote. Until I quote and you cannot quote, then I have won. These are the games I play. We didn't have mobile phones. Those are the games that I have. Yeah. But then one day, God brought a seed from a stranger. That seed was the seed that came from Kenneth Hagin means an external seed. And that seed was a book. Somebody gave me a little book. And I said, wow, what is this? And I read this book and it just opened up a whole new world for me. Then I started to now find him more and read I was going to him till he died. Even after he died, when I go there, there's some enchantment to me. After he died, even. I just walk in there. Oh, yes. Because I can attribute everything in my ministry to that point. Oh, yes. That seed. You know, I'll just say this. I'm still talking, I'm introducing this. But one day I saw um, a man who had a racehorse, very valuable. I know a racehorse because my father also had many racehorses. My father was a racehorse owner. He used to buy expensive race horses from all over the world. And one day I saw a man with a very great champion horse, and the man took a strange decision nobody understood. He said he's not going to allow his horse to run the race anymore. But he's keeping his horse for breeding. So he kept it in his farm, said, if you want your horse to have sex with my horse, Bring your horse to my farm, and I will charge you. Do you know how much he was charging for one weekend? Huh? No, I won't tell you. I'll tell those who want to know about this. Do you know how much he was charging for a weekend? Two million dollars. Two million dollars for what? For a seed. Two million dollars for a seed. What a seed. And it's not a fairy tale, it's a true story. I watched it, it was a documentary about that famous one. Two million dollars. That's the value of a seed in your life. 
You know, one day I came, I saw, when I see the crusade, when I see the ministry, the churches, look at me today. These books, we have published over 40 million in different languages. I mean, how many pastors write books? 10,000 books, 5,000, 2,000 copies. This 40 million, millions of books. And not just that they are books, but it's like books that people read and you keep on meeting people that read the book and were affected by without knowing me. Oh, yes. So may you receive a wonderful seed into your life that will change your life and change your ministry. Amen. You may be seated. Beautiful. So those who leave you, identifying dangerous enemies, those who leave you, if you have not seen some before, those who leave you, what they can do to you. It's like this story that I just told. 3,000 members gone. Ah, yes. Remainder 18. So I, I, I hope to be sharing uh, about this. Uh, those are all I came to talk about. So if you are not interested in something, those who leave you. Then, those who are proud. Those who are proud. When you were small and hands were being laid on you, you were very humble. Oh, Father, oh, Father, oh, Father, Bishop, <laughs> Papa. Now, when you refer to him, you don't even say Bishop, you say Jack, you say Henry, Henry, look at Henry. You don't even say pastor. You say that man. Your man. You see, if you are not building the church actively, these things don't apply to you. You should go for a conference on love and marriage. You don't have to come here. You have to go for a conference on love and marriage. I don't know why you've come here because you need for a conference on love and marriage. <laughs> Those who are proud. In Psalm 119, 
we get a revelation about those who are proud, which is stunning. In verse 21, it says, Thou hast rebuked the proud that are cursed, and which do err from thy commandments. Thou hast rebuked the proud that are cursed. A proud person is cursed. A proud person is cursed. Once your pride starts coming up, a curse also starts coming up. And a proud person goes into error. Look at it. They err. The proud, they are cursed and they move into error. They start to make mistakes. That is why as a young man, the Bible says you shall rise up before the aged and honor them. Always. Not at the beginning of your life and your ministry. All the time. Even if you are bigger than them. And even if you've been around for some time and now you feel you know everything that is being done. And you understand how the ministry works and so on. And you are now not, you are now not new. That is when you have to be even more careful. Because pride doesn't just come. Pride comes and it brings a curse. You know, one time I spoke with a pastor. He was the head of uh, Assemblies of God um, in uh, uh, America. He's dead now. He told me, you know, in my tenure, when I was the whatever he was in Assemblies of God in the whole of America, he said, I've dealt with 1,500 cases of disciplinary issues with pastors. 1,500 cases. I sat on the committee. We dealt different, different, different pastors. And he asked me that, do I know what is the commonest parameter that is in all of them? And I thought he was going to say immorality. And he said, no, 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 no. The commonest thing in all the 1,500 cases was pride. All of them were proud. Whether there was immorality, whether there was stealing, whether there was whatever, it was always there was pride. Because pride is the first sin of the universe, depending on how you look at it. It wasn't Adam and Eve's sin. It was Lucifer. And even with Lucifer, it depends on whether you are dealing with the fallen angels. If it was the fallen angels, then it was last. Last was the first sin. But if it is to do with Lucifer, it's pride. Immediately, you are cursed. Immediately, error. Every proud pastor is starting to make mistakes. You see them making mistakes. Sometimes I look at proud people as they are manifesting. And you see they are making serious mistakes. Serious life mistakes. And you lose your whole life and your whole ministry. Because you are so big, so strong. Wow. Just, that's why Judas stood with the guys. Because he was feeling that, yes, this is power. It was just for less than 24 hours. In less than 24 hours, he was dead. In less than 24 hours. Judas didn't live for 24 hours after doing what he did. After doing that, you are sentenced. Yes. You can't do that and continue. It's over. 
There are people whose life and ministry ends as soon as you start playing those games. It's over for you. So, thou hast rebuked the proud that are cursed. Look at it. Amazing. Thou hast rebuked the proud that are cursed, which do err from thy commandment. So, in the ministry, if you don't want to err, if you don't want to start making serious mistakes, eh, pray always about pride, about pride. Pray for the spirit of humility. You know, there is, there is a spirit of pride and there's a spirit of humility. The Bible speaks in Proverbs about the humble spirit. Oh, let's pray for it all the time. That God will give us a humble spirit. Humble spirit. I don't want error to come into your life. Amen. And then those who are ignorant. Hmm? I, I, I don't know whether you have all these people here. Amen. Amen. The Bible says, not a novice. Not a novice. I wrote a book on not a novice. Lest he fall into the condemnation of the devil. Put up that scripture. Not a novice, lest he fall into the condemnation of the devil. Why does a novice fall into the condemnation of the devil because being lifted up with pride once again he goes into the same condemnation that the devil was condemned with look at the word the condemnation of the devil in other words the condemnation that happened to the devil if you don't take it will happen to you the condemnation of the devil the condemnation, it's not the devil who is implementing, but you are experiencing the condemnation that the devil experienced. The devil was condemned. And if you don't take care, you'll be condemned with the same condemnation. And how does it come about? A novice, ignorant, new, you don't know much. You don't know what is involved. Oh, yes. That is why it is so important when you are new to be open in your heart to learn. Because you see somebody preaching, you think, oh, to be a pastor is nothing. You just do this, you just do this, you just do this. Why don't you try it and see? Try it and see. Try having a crusade. You are in Kenya, we've come to have a crusade here. I've not seen any Kenyan coming to have a crusade in Ghana. Why don't you come to Ghana? Why don't you come, bring your cars, your trucks, and come and have a crusade in Ghana? I've been waiting. I've been waiting. Why don't you do it? You see, it looks easy, and it looks like, oh, what is this, what is that, what is that? But why don't you try? Or come and have a conference if you don't want to have a crusade. Come and have a conference. <laughs> in, Tanzan in Tanzania, just next door. Yeah. And invite pastors. And bishops and fathers. 
city. Of the city. <laughs> Yes. Why don't you do that? So on the surface, everything looks like nothing. That's why I say that anybody who is here, who is, the fact that you've been here, you have my respect. I don't need to have any like background or who is this person. Ah, 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 I don't need it. Just that you have been there and you are still around. Oh. No matter what. And that is what a novice doesn't know. He's ignorant. That's why I wrote a book for those who are also ignorant. They don't know so many things. Yeah. And so you see people making comments about what they don't understand. Oh, this one is just this and that. Oh, as for this man, he just says this and this and that. He just writes this and that. Why don't you also write a book? And translate it, perhaps, into Swahili, even. So I'm talking about identifying dangerous enemies. And I'm telling you, when you identify that, you will have a bigger ministry. You know, my ministry is bigger than it would have been without some of these teachings. Because even though we, we do still experience um, orangs or orangus, it's greatly um, limited by people knowing these things. Yes. But as for those things, it occurs because by default we are all evil. Yes. Perhaps you are sitting by an angel, but you know, by default. So the next dangerous enemies are dangerous sons. People you ordained. People you raised up. People you appointed. People through whom you, you, you brought them into the ministry. Oh, yes. I pray none of you will ever be a dangerous son. It's one of the greatest bad things you can ever be. I'm sure there are people that have sat in this very church were anointed by the pastor, prayed for, introduced. I have a number of bishops here and um, that I overseeing many things in the ministry. Most of them, or if not all of them, wouldn't be known. I introduced them. I introduced them. Ooh. And I'm still introducing them. If you take somebody like Dr. Go, I, I officiated. 
I appointed him as a pastor when he was a student. Oh, yes. Yeah, when he was in medical school. He's a, he's a specialist doctor. But I appointed him as a pastor when he was a student. I said, from today, I have appointed you as a pastor. And I sent him forth to go and preach in a classroom. Oh, yes. Then I ordained him. Then I made him a bishop. And then I, I, I officiated his wedding. Yes. He was getting married in London. I flew to, I flew to London to go and officiate his wedding. So he's my son. Now, I don't even want to use this example. I think I'll not use this example. So no, yeah. Because I don't, like, I don't like using examples like that. Yeah. Huh? Yes, it brings the point home, yeah. So I'm saying that there are people, you become a son, and the reason why you are called a son is because you, a, a father, you see, is not an old man. How old were you when you became a father? 25, 27. Yeah, so a father is someone who causes people to exist. He brings them, he makes them to come out, to come forth. That's what a father is. So I don't know whether in Kenya you call old people fathers, but that is not the definition of a father. Because you, you may be an old man, but you don't have a child. But if you cause people to exist, then you are their father. So that's why I'm saying that these bishops and pastors, I have introduced them, caused them, trained them, taught them. So it makes me their father. First Corinthians 4.15 says, you have many 10,000 instructors, but you have few people that are fathers. And you know that this person is the one who calls you to exist. When Kenneth Hagin died, I started, I was in Kenya. I was in Kenya, I was at the airport. I sat in the bus, I looked at my phone, and I saw a message, Kenneth Hagin has just died. I started crying immediately. I, somebody I had not had any conversation with before. I just shook his hand once, taking a picture with him once. That's all. But I started crying because he, he, he was something to me. Oh, yes. Oh, yes. So, there are people who you were caused to exist. And what did you do? You became an Absalom. Absalom is the man who took up his father. And organize a conspiracy, spread stories and rumors ah, about his father, and then organize people to go and attack the father. Oh, I've, I've had a number of Absaloms. People who organize journalists, lawyers. mobilize people to fight me. Oh yes. This is what the Bible calls dangerous sons. Absaloms. Yes. <laughs> I hope you don't have such. Maybe I should go to Tanzania to preach this message because I think you don't have such things in Kenya. I think you don't have such things in Kenya. I think I'll, I'll go to Tanzania and Preach this message there. (laughs) 
Absalom is somebody who fights against his father. You are fighting the person through whom you came to be who you are. You are fighting the person. Your name is not John. Your name is not Peter. Your name is not Michael. Your name is Absalom in the realm of the spirit. In the realm of the spirit, your name is Absalom. And, and that is what you are dealing with in the realm of the spirit. You are dealing with an Absalom. It's an Absalom. It's an Absalom you are dealing with. You must know the names of people in the realm of the spirit. Oh, yes. Bible says that where our Lord Jesus was crucified, which in the realm of the spirit is called Sodom and Egypt. And where was our Lord crucified? He was crucified in Jerusalem. But in the realm of the spirit, it is called Sodom and Egypt. Yes. Put that scripture up, please. Is there a very active person on the screen? I need a very active person. Yeah. Sodom and Egypt. Amazing. So, even though that place was, was Jerusalem, it says, their dead body shall lie in the street of the great city. Do you see? Which spiritually, or in the realm of the spirit, is called Sodom and Egypt, where also our Lord was crucified. And where our Lord was crucified is Jerusalem. It's identifying the place, but in the realm of the spirit, it is actually Sodom you are dealing with and Egypt. So there are people, he may be called Michael, he may be called John, he may be called Peter, he may be called what? Hmm. You know his name, but in the realm of the spirit, it's called Absalom. That's what you are dealing with. Absalom. It's an Absalom. I wrote a new book called It's an Absalom. <laughs> yes. Now I pray there's nobody here who is an Absalom. Ask your neighbor. So you, are you an Absalom? You are sitting down writing notes. Are you an Absalom? Are you a Kenyan Absalom? going to, you see, after this conference we are not going to allow Absaloms to operate freely anymore. Oh yes. And anybody who is showing any signs of an Absalom there will be no space for you. Yes. You see, one time we were playing the World Cup. Ghana was playing in the World Cup some years ago. I think it was the one in South Africa. And I think we were going to play with Germany next. 
and I don't know who we were playing with. But during the match, I saw something that made me worried for Ghana. Yes. I don't know what I should tell you. I should tell some other people. <laughs> Maybe I should go back to Ghana and, and say it in Ghana. During the match, the next match was going to be German, but we were playing with somebody. I saw in the stands, the camera came, and then I saw the German coach. He was sitting there watching Ghana playing, and he was writing a lot of notes. He was identifying the dangerous enemies in the Ghana team. He was writing down the names of all the people who were dangerous and who could, who could score. And that was the end of us. <laughs> that was the end of us. We didn't see, understand the next game at all because the man has written down all the names. They couldn't do anything. Yes. Hey. And today too, we are writing down the names of all the dangerous and this Absalom test. We are writing down all their names. Uh, they will not be allowed to roam around freely anymore. Oh yes. You even have girls who are absal absalomia. Absalomias. Hey! Absalomina. The next dangerous enemy. Those who forget. Those who forget. Those who forget. Hebrews 6 and verse 10 says that God is not unrighteous to forget. To forget. God is not unrighteous to forget. In your church, when we finish this conference, I don't know if we have time to talk about all this, but if we do, pastors and leaders and workers must stand up and recount all the blessings that they have received by being connected to you and by being part of the church. That must be the characteristic of your church. Pastor, I want to thank you. I was here. I never sat on a plane before. You helped me. You, I remember the day you ordained me. I, it should be a culture. You introduce and you recount. And when you recount, it will stabilize you and say, hey, if I want to take my knife, is it this person that I'm going to stab? You see, that's why Judas forgot all the things. I mean... When they were choosing 12 people, they left out so many people that, that morning. 
when Jesus came from down from the mountain. And then he chose you. Ah? You were chosen. Maybe you don't know that you've been, you've been chosen. Because of the way it happened, you don't realize that you were chosen. It happened in a way, so you don't realize that you were actually being chosen. Yeah, and some people were left out because of you. And then on top of that, it seems you are being given extra privileges. You were made the money, the person to count the money. Everything was left with you. You know, sometimes some of the worst people, you've done more things for them than other people. They are the ones who sometimes become some way. Yes. You've done this for them. You've done this for them. You remember them. You did this. You did this. You did that. And that is the person. And you see them shaking. One pastor, you know, he used to criticize my preaching until he started, he encountered somebody who forgot. <laughs> I remember I, I was one day, was, I was talking with him and I was walking with him. And he started to speak about this person. Then he started to shake like this. He was shaking. When he remembers the guy, he starts to shake like this. I became afraid for his life. I said, brother, calm down. He told me, he said, you're, you're teaching on loyalty. At first, I didn't know what he was talking about. He said, but now, I am always carrying five copies of that book in my bag. I'm keep sharing it. He said, I'm wilder than you now. Because he saw one person. Oh, yes. Who wouldn't remember. All these fathers have done things for people. Hmm? And you see ungrateful people. Ungrateful. You know, that's why the Bible says God is not. I just want you to remember I, the first, let me see, one, two, three, four, five, six, seven words. Underline the first seven words. For God is not unrighteous to forget. If you can just remember that phrase, it will help you in your Christian life. Don't forget. Don't forget. I have some of my pastors I brought from the north of Ghana. Stand up. Oh, these guys, you see, in Ghana, we have a part which is a very poor, far away place. It's like a desert. There are about 11 of them, eh? 13 of them. I said, when I go to Kenya, I'll take you with me. So I bought tickets for all of them. I said, let's all go to Kenya. I'm coming with you. It's a blessing. Don't forget it. Don't forget it. Yeah, don't forget it. I said, let's, I'll take you. I want you to be international. I'm not leaving you just in that village over there, but I want you to travel and see, sit on a plane. Many of you have not sat on a plane before. I said, ah, let's go. You don't have to forget. Uh, people forget what a father does for them. When my father died, I remember sitting on him with, a, on a, with him on a plane, sitting in first class. My father only traveled first class. My father told me, he said, my legs are long. I can't fit in economy class. <laughs> <laughs> oh, yes. <clears throat> As a child, I remember being sitting there, always in first class with my father. 
Oh, yes. When he died, I remember, I remembered KFC. It was the first time I ate KFC was in London. I said, what type of chicken? They said, in those days, KFC was not spread all over the world like it is today. I said, what is this wonderful thing? I remembered. I remembered so many things my father did for me. He did it for me. Yeah. So, you see, you have to, to remember. Yeah. Many times you don't remember. You remember a rebuke or maybe a meeting where there was trouble or there was some kind of issue. Hmm? Fire meetings. But how can a person be a father to you without rebukes and without hot fire and hot pepper? So remember, remember, your father, the only father is not your, your biological father. Other people can be your father. That's why the Bible says don't call anybody father because one person will never be enough. One person will never be enough. That's why Jesus said don't bother to call anybody a father. Because you always need more than one person makes a fathering for you. That's what the Bible says in 1 Corinthians 4.15 that you have not many fathers. It didn't say you have only one father. You have not many. There are not many of such people. There may be a number but not many. Yes. It's because it's a special thing. That's why the funeral of Jacob was different from the funeral of Joseph. If you read about the funeral of Jacob, it was a massive thing involving the whole of Egypt. Yeah. Yes, caravans and the whole of Egypt. But when Joseph died, it was not like that. Because he was just a son. So remember what your father has been through for you. And if you forget, It may be like Ham. Ham who forgot that his father built an ark even though he was drinking now. You know, he had built an ark even though he was drinking. They said, oh yeah, he's not he drinking this, that. Why should you be drinking? Why should you do what this and that and that? Ah, you, you don't know God's opinion of his drinking. I don't know God's opinion of his drinking. You don't know God's opinion. You know, we should try to get God's estimate, not our traditional estimates. Yes. Because in the Bible, clearly they were drinking. Yes. That's why Paul even recommended it in the Bible. A lot of things that Paul said we don't obey. Drink a little wine for your stomach. We don't be all those things. Don't worry. I personally, I don't. I don't even like the taste of wine. I don't like. I've never drank before. I've never drank anything before, and I don't even even the communion. I don't like the taste of it. Oh yes. But I'm saying that we don't obey a lot of things in the Bible. Yes. I don't know whether somebody wants to argue with me. I'm just preaching and I feel some type of argument are happening. <laughs> Amen. So, don't forget. Don't forget. 
remember, and when you remember, it will just keep you on the right path. In your heart, you must always, this man is special. This man is special. Yeah, even if it's, uh, he does something wrong, like maybe you feel he's drinking now. But you see, where were you when he was nailing the ark to save your life? Building a boat on dry land. The only mention of him in the Bible says, and by faith, Noah built the ark, by the which he condemned the whole world. By the which he condemned the whole world. And you are pointing at him. Look at it. You don't know God's opinion. A lot of things we need to watch out. Uh, Sons, when they are novices, they despise their fathers. But it's because of their lack of experience. Yes. You would have drowned. I said you would have drowned if it wasn't for your father's building the ark. Yes. Have you noticed that all through the Bible, all the women that uh, David had, uh, except apart from Bathsheba, and Jacob, Abraham's wife, Jacob, there's, there's no comment about it. No comment. Gideon, we always say how we have to have the faith of Gideon. He had 70 children, 70 children. Let's be careful. So, don't forget and just take your time when dealing with fathers. Amen. Then, there are still more. Those who accuse you. You want to be in the ministry, get ready to be accused of three groups of things. Number one, things that are not true. Two, things that are partially true, but out of context, maybe. And number three, things that are true. Yes. Things that are not true. Revelations chapter 12 tells us that strength has come because the accuser of the brethren has been cast down. So, accusations, in, according to Revelation chapter 12, is the accuser, the accuser of our brethren. Accusations is his weapon. Everybody who leaves you has to say something. They have to have something to say. Things that are true, things that are partially true or out of context, do you see? And things that are blatantly not true. So with the mixture of all these, you'll be battling all your life. That's why it's powerful, because some of the accusations are true. And it weakens you. And you have to know how to resist it. And uh, 
always remove from your life accusers. I pray, don't look at your pastor with accusing eyes. Look at him with admiring eyes. Don't say to yourself, you, you don't know anything. You don't know him. Ah, if you knew him, you would not be just uh, saying that. No. It's easy to accuse someone who serves the Lord. Yes. Don't, don't do that. Always have admired. And I want to say that people who are accusers at work, accusers of government, accusers of all, usually you also become accuser in the church. Yeah. Sometimes I see the people talking about the government. Ah, they are stolen this. I, I ask, how do you know they've stolen something? Why do you immediately think of them stealing something? Why? How did you know that it is possible? How, how do you know all this? Huh? The longer you live, the more you can be writing to your list of accusations until you can write that there is nothing I've not been accused of before. Personally, I don't think there's anything I've not been accused of before, including being the devil. I've even been accused of being the devil. I've had three times, three different people accusing me of being the devil. And, and you remember it because you say, hey, Yes. One day, one pastor said, Ducky, what does it makes me sick? Hey! People have strong feelings for me. <laughs> one day, a sister, she was a, a, a pastor, she said to me, hey, I don't like such things. This person who said, I don't like such And I said, then resign. Resign. To be in the ministry, you'll be accused. The less you are accused, the less you are going high. Yes. You see, Billy Graham said he was made famous by the media, by the accusations that people brought against him. Yes. He was accused of so. Maybe many of you don't know, you knew him only just famous when he was old. But he was accused of so many things. That is what made him famous. He himself said it. That's what made me famous. Yeah. Oh, yes. But I pray that none of you will be used by the devil. Oh, yes. To accuse. Yes. One day I met a pastor. Ah. He was talking about his senior pastor. He said, oh, my senior pastor is, is off. He's, he's gone off. He doesn't have the spirit. Now, now, this guy, he speaks with a strong voice, even when he's talking softly. He doesn't have the spirit. The spirit has departed. And he said, when he travels, people are happy, like when he goes. And then we are there to preach. He said, there is joy in the church. There's liberty. And the spirit moves. 
the right hand man of the senior pastor. He was not talking to someone, he was talking to me. We we're standing in a garden, and he was standing there talking. When he travels, there is joy, there's liberty, and the spirit is moving. And he said to me, I tell you, he's off. He doesn't read the Bible anymore. How do you know he doesn't read the Bible? He said, he doesn't read the Bible anymore. And he asked me, do you know this book, Attila the Hand? I said, Attila, what is Attila? He said, that is what he reads. He doesn't read the Bible. He reads Attila the Hand. Attila the Hand is uh, somebody they use as a, you know, a teaching on leadership and so on. Says people teach. Do you know Attila the Hand? I said, how do you know? He said, he said he will give me that book. But I said, I will never take that book. I will never take that book. I will never read it. I will never read it. <laughs> it's reading Attila the Hand. I tell you, he's off. Oh, yeah. A very big church. This is the assistant pastor talking about the senior pastor. It was a matter, it was just a matter of time. And he broke away from the church in a painful way. Yes. Took the church, took a whole church. With the pulpit and the choir, everything, he took all of them. Is it, yeah. I, I think... I think I must go, I'll go to Liberia and, and, and preach this message. But I don't think you have such things here. <laughs> Tell Bishop Prince, I'm going to Liberia. I want to have a conference in Liberia. <laughs> he said, I said, he, did, he, he, he said he would give me the book. I said, I'll never take the book. I said, I'll never take the book. He wanted to give it to me. I said, I'll never take that book. As for me, I read the Bible. <laughs> oh, yes. He broke away. Stole the whole, ch- the whole church. Ah. Now, you see, he was somebody that, I, a friend that I knew. So, one day I went to the town that he had stolen the church. He had taken the whole church. I told him, I said, brother, this is not your church, who? You've taken the whole building, the pulpit, and the choir was rehearsing. That's why I mentioned the choir. The choir was rehearsing. I said, you've stolen somebody's whole entire church. Huh. He said, you don't know. You don't know. He said, you don't know certain things. Then after some time, I said, look, I have to leave. So he said, I'll, I'll see you off. So he went with me outside the church. When we got to the road, there was a beautiful BMW, brand new, parked on the roadside. So as we passed by, he said, do you see this? I said, what? He said, this. (laughs) He said, when somebody heard what I have done, he sent this to me as a gift to congratulate me. Then he turned to me and said, is this not God? Is this not God? (laughs) 
I, I don't want to tell you the rest of the story. <laughs> oh, yes. It was now a matter of time. Within a couple of, I don't know how long it took, not long, he entered another crisis in the same church. Another thing he said to me is that, you see, here we don't have only one person who preaches. We are all men of God here. We are all men of God. <laughs> you see, because he was against his senior pastor always preaching. He said, we are all men of God here. It's not only one voice we are here. All of this. You can ask them. They all have tapes. They all have tapes. We all preach. So, yes. Something, I don't know what happened. Something happened. I, I don't want to go into that. And then the, all the other men of God rose up against him and threw him out of the church. They also threw him out. Is this not God? Is this also not God? So, those who accuse you, uh, watch out. He doesn't read the Bible anymore. He doesn't read the Bible anymore. He's off. Watch out. With people with strong accusations. There are more people like that. Those who pretend. I'm going to be ending soon, but those who pretend. Those who pretend. Now, do you know that Judas, nobody knew he was Judas. Even at the Last Supper, Jesus was asking. They were asking, who, I mean, who amongst us could possibly do something like this? Who? 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 I want to tell you something. One of the most difficult things for your life is to experience somebody who you trust, you lean on, and the person that you are trusting turns out to be some bed of another feather. Turns out to be what? A bed of another feather. It's like going upstairs, upstairs, second floor, now 10th floor, 11th floor, 13th floor, 17th floor, 23rd floor, 28th floor, and you are up there. When you go, they say, ah, what a beautiful view. Then you go out to the balcony, and there you see a beautiful balustrade in glass, or maybe a bit of metal. And you say, oh, wow. And maybe there are some wild animals out there as well, and what a view, oh. And you go and you lean on the balustrade like this and the balustrade just goes through because it is not fixed. That is what it is like to have somebody that you really depend on, you really trust. And I know I'm telling you that if you are following Jesus, 
There will come a time when you will have such an experience because you are a follower of Jesus, because Jesus experienced it. Yeah. I'm sorry to tell you. I'm sorry to tell you. Yeah. Hey. When Julius Caesar was being stabbed, all the senators came around him and they all stabbed because they didn't want one person to be guilty of it. So they all came around and stabbed. But when they, he was being stabbed, you know, you, before you die, you will feel some pain. And so he turned and he saw his right hand man, Brutus. And he said, Hey, tu brute. You too, Brutus. You too are part of this. I wouldn't have thought that anybody like you could do the, maybe these guys. Hey, tu brute. Hey. You too? Ask your neighbor. You too are part of the treacherous orangus of Kenya? You too? Wow. So it's difficult to identify them. But because they blend in so beautifully. Watch out for the perfect pretenders. Amen. And then we have loyalty and disloyalty. Disloyal people. This is the original book about these kind of people. But it's a little expanded now, all these ones. Disloyal people. What does it mean to be loyal? It means to be faithful. It means to be constant. It means to be the same. Many of us are not constant. And we are not the same. But you must learn to be the same. I thank God that Kenneth Hagin was still preaching what he was preaching at the age of 63. What about if I had come into contact with him and he had veered off, he was now a financial uh, corridors of power preaching. How to invest. How to, to buy bonds. How to do the... I, oh. Thank God that he, he kept and he was constant. One day I went to uh, Kenneth Hagin's conference and uh, he was preaching. You know, I, have, I think I was there for two or three, four times, I don't know, before he died. Because I only had enough money to travel there at the end of his life. And when I went, he said, this conference I'm preaching about ABC of faith. So when, I, when he started preaching, I was saying to us, ah, Lord, I know this one already. I know this one already. I've come all the way. He's preaching the same ABC of faith that I've heard him preaching ABC of faith. And the Holy Spirit says, shut up and learn how to be constant. Learn how to be faithful. And learn how to be faithful in your ministry. Just learn it. This man is 80-something years old. He has never veered away from the instruction that the Holy Spirit gave to him that he should preach about this and about that. He never changed it. He never changed it. Amen. Amen. Today, look at the pastor's preaching. You go to churches, you wonder, are you in a bank? <laughs> are, are, are you in a university? What type of preaching is it? 
Every time it's about money, how to get investment, as if there's something new that we have to share or to bring financial relief and vocational schools and some kind of relief and help society, something, leadership. We, we don't really know what exactly you are preaching, but not the real gospel. And it's not just the basic word of God. One day I was with a man of God uh, somewhere and I asked him, why, you, wh- 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 why, why do you always preach about money? Because he's always preaching, well, at least the times that I see him, it's always about money or some kind of wealth success. I think maybe I'm in the wrong country because maybe we don't have these things in Kenya. Maybe Kenya is more of a kind of a discipleship. I asked him, I asked him, I asked him, why, why, do you, why are you always on these topics? He said, well, I don't know. Then I asked him, when you were growing up as a Christian, is that what you, you, you learned? He said, no. I asked him, what did you learn? The first thing he said was discipleship. Discipleship, faith, the things that we learn in scripture, you know, or see you or whatever. That was what he was brought up on. Let me tell you something. The word of God, the main thing is still the main thing. It hasn't changed. No matter who is saying what. If you have good messages in Kenya, eh, remember that an order is an order. Jesus said, go ye into all the world. There was nothing like Kenya in the Bible. He said, go ye into Kenya. Go ye into all the world. So you are expected in other countries. People are expecting you in other nations. Yes? Look at South Africa. Supposed to be the whatever richest country in Africa and this and that and so on and so forth. We don't, you don't see South African pastors in this country, in this country, preaching in spite of all that they've had. All the Americans and all the white people who go to the churches over there. So why don't you go? The, the work of God doesn't end at your border. If I said go into all nations. Nations, you see, so our disobedience has made us poor. We preach about prosperity, but we are the poorest of, 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 of all. We are preaching about all these things and still have no money to do anything. If you have my, all these financial messages and so on, you know, yes, two days ago I was with an American pastor. He was telling me, he said, oh, all the richest ministries are the ones that preach on salvation. Salvation and have been. Yes, those are the richer salvation and seek you first. In the world today, the world, all over the world today, he said the richest ministries are those preached on salvation and the ministry work. He said those are the richest ministries. He was, and he started to mention, he said those are the, and the poorest, they don't always on corridors of power and uh, uh, agendas of uh, finances and I, and what? Financial engineering. The other day I met somebody who was trying to sell bitcoins. I said, what is it? I, what, what are the bitcoins? I don't know what all these things are. I came here for a spiritual conference. I don't really come to buy coins. Hey. Loyalty means constant. Loyalty means that if I come here in five years time, I'll find you around still, faithful. Loyalty means that I'll find you in this same church after 20 years. 
helping to make the church better. Loyalty means I'll find you preaching faithfully what God commissioned you and said, go ye into the world and preach. I'll find you trying to go to the nations of the world. I'll find you trying to do that. Oh, yes. Oh, yes. And he said, do the work of an evangelist. I'll find you trying your best to do the work of an evangelist. Oh, yes. I saw one of my disciples, he was having a conference, a crusade in a country, and I said, God bless you. He was having the same conference. He had arranged books like this. Some few books that he had written, he has arranged it. He was having a conference, having a crusade. He's doing it. It's moving. Hmm? Look at Kenya. I don't know when this church was built, but I don't think it's recent. It's been here for years. You think God doesn't want new churches in Pika and more church buildings? Huh? More church buildings? You know, other religions, they assign their national budget to build 1,000 of their temples in a country. And they'll go to this country, say 1,000, and they finance it to build and to dominate nations. Yes. And here we are as a church. We don't know what we are doing with our money and our resources. But I thank God for the message of constantness and faithfulness. And God wants us to be faithful and to continue. Somebody said, ah, dad, he doesn't have revelation. He's, he's always preaching basics. I don't have revelation. And I'm preaching basics. If this is what basics is, I, I love the basics. If this is what basics is, I love the basics. Your money is getting finished because you have shifted away from the basics. Yes. Yes. You take an offering, it's peanuts. You take an offering, it's peanuts. There's nothing. Look, there's only one miracle. I'm going to tell you something. There's only one miracle that is mentioned in all the four Gospels. There's only one miracle. Yeah. It's mentioned in all four. It's not the reason of Lazarus from the dead. It's mentioned only once. It's not the healing of the man by the pool of Bethesda. It's mentioned only once. It's not the healing of the blind man. That's also mentioned only once. It's not the healing of the nobleman's son. That's mentioned only once. It's not the healing of the woman with the issue of blood. That's also mentioned three times. But it's not, it's not mentioned four times. It's not the healing of the madman of Gadara. That is mentioned three times. But there's one miracle. Do you want to know what is the, the one miracle? I think I, I should go to another country and, and tell the people. And you see, it, it, it has, there's a, there's a reason why. There's a reason why. There's a reason why. And that is, it is the miracle of turning the loaves and multiplying the fishes and multiplying the loaves and feeding of the thousands. It's the only miracle that is mentioned in all the world. Yeah. 
And it is the miracle that affected the people so much that they wanted to make Jesus a king. No other miracle made people want to make him a king. What does it mean to us? It means that Jesus is showing his power over finances, his power over money, his supernatural power over provision. It is a very supernatural thing. The lack of money, the lack of resources, the lack of what we need should always minister to us and ask ourselves, are we on the right course in this ministry that we are doing? Is it really true that preaching every day about offering and every day about money will bring all the money that we need? Now, is Jesus pleased with us? He asked, I said, when I sent you, did you lack any good thing? Were you in need? Remember, I was there providing. This is the only miracle mentioned four times. Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John. Every one of them. is the most significant miracle that Jesus did. And I want to tell you, my friend, that it's very significant how God can provide for you. How God can take care of you if you are obedient to him. And if you go and do what he tells you to do. If you can be faithful to him, he can provide everything that is needed for your calling. And that once you is something that he wants you to do he will just provide for it somehow miraculously he will stand there and send whatever is needed and just multiply little things until everything is sorted out receive that grace receive that help from the lord receive that blessing in the name of jesus through faithfulness through faithfulness and constantness uh, you come into different rivers of provision, different supplies, different answers, different supernatural supplies will come into your life. And you will see many, many, many miracles in your life. Every standing, please. Every standing. Father, thank you for the blessing that you give to us. Thank you for supplying and providing all that we need. Thank you for helping us to identify dangerous enemies in our midst. Thank you for showing us enemies who are actually human beings in our midst. Thank you that you are going to use us to do great things and to serve you in a beautiful and a wonderful way. Hallowed be thy name. Now lift your hand. I see provision from above and I see you receiving from the Lord a supernatural element. A supernatural element. A supernatural element of God's power of God's provision there's there's people here God has called you to the ministry it is your duty now to follow him there are people here God has called you to set to the ministry in the realm of the spirit 
His hook is in you. His hook. You can never escape from it. You are his servant forever. You are his child. He chose you. He likes you. And he loves you. And he chose you. Therefore, receive grace. Receive grace. You never go away from the original calling. His calling will always be there. His passion for you will always be there. The original calling, the original calling, it's never changed and it's not going to change. Therefore, rise up, my, my servant, says the Spirit, and be obedient. Be obedient. But not obedient for one day. And not obedient for one week. But continuously obedient. Continuously learning. Continuously studying. And following. Following Jesus. Following Jesus as a young man. As a young girl. Following Jesus when you get a little older. Following Jesus as you get older. As you cross into the 50s and the 60s, I hear the Spirit say, Yes.